Welcome back to the campus of the Apartment Academy, the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast and your institute of higher NOI. I'm your host, the Dean of the Apartment Academy, Daniel Cunningham. Today's guest is Tina West. And Tina West is the Executive Vice President at Saris Regis. And uh, Tina has uh, a remarkable pedigree, actually, in this business in terms of the the companies that that not only that she's worked for, but also what her role has been in those companies, which is oftentimes um, uh, at, at, at the ground level of companies seeking to build a property management platform. So she's got great experience of what it takes to be successful. And she shared some of that with us today. Here she is. Professor West, welcome to the hallowed halls of the Apartment Academy here. Great to see you. Great to see you. So, uh, Tina, you have had a very, um, I think, uh, formidable career with some great brands in multifamily. Um, but let's just start out by talking a little about your your own origin story. How did you come to be involved in, in multifamily? Yeah, well, I will add to the many um, who did not anticipate this being their career path, right? I uh, was actually in college in um, SoCal. I'm a SoCal native. And I was studying accounting. Um, that was going to be my, my major. I was going to be a CPA. Um, and unfortunately, my parents, um, I was in a private university. They got a divorce, lost their business all at the same time. And they said, we can't keep you in this school. So I went home. I was living at a Lincoln property company. Um, I cried uh, to the assistant manager, Tamara. I'll never forget. And she said, well, what about this? And I said, what about what? She's like, what I do? I'm like, what do you do? Um, she's like, well, this is my job. Um, and the rest is history. I've been in the industry now for over 35 years. Um, fell into it by accident, but it has been absolutely um, the best thing I've ever done. I'm having the time of my life still this many years later. Uh, that's, uh, that's good to hear. It's not, not everyone describes it as the time of their life uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are moments, right? There are moments in time for sure. <laughs> uh, yes. And you're currently executive vice president at Saris Regis. What, what are your responsibilities there on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I oversee the client advisory group. So, you know, I am really client relations, if you will, but I'm an operator through and through. So um, as I'm talking to clients about Sarah's Regis management, um, I'm also engaging in strategies around best practices, around turnaround plans, around successful lease up um, positioning um, and working hand in hand with the operations team. So you have actually been uh, on the ground floor with a number of companies when they were looking to start a property management division. Um, we worked with you actually, uh, Lennar on the Leonardo 24 seven side of the world. They were starting their management group. Um, you were at CB Richard Ellis, Ellis starting their management group. Um, so I think it would be interesting to hear, to start off today talking about kind of what, when you walk into a scenario like that, like what are the foundational elements that you think about? Like, okay, if we're going to do this right, Here's the thing I, here's the things I think about. Here's where we need to start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun. I've had the, the pleasure of, uh, you know, building several verticals, um, not only for myself and with, you know, groups that I was with, but also for clients who decided that they wanted to, you know, have their own management in house. 
Um, and I think it really depends, you know, at CBRE as an example, you know, that obviously um, an existing global giant, right? Um, they have their mission, values, vision, um, processes in place um, it, in general. Um, but my first opportunity was at Monarch Group. So this goes back to the late 90s. I worked with a developer based in San Diego and um, we had a portfolio of developments um, in progress. And um, we decided that we wanted to build our own vertical and um, have a little bit more control um, over you know, the outcome um, of not only the development, but also the, really the experience for our customers. So we really started by sitting down and talking through vision. You know, who did we wanna be? What did we wanna be known for? What were our non-negotiables? You know, what were our core values? And that, that experience, that process of really um, thinking through our vision and our values, you know, we learned very quickly that core values had to be those things that we refused to sacrifice, right? So some of the things we agreed on um, were that, you know, we would we would be focused on accountability, we would be focused on integrity, we were focused on creativity, you know, we wanted to be out of the box thinkers, um, we wanted to be resilient, um, we wanted to have fun. Um, you know, so those were some of the, um, the, the values that were really going to be the underpinning of who we were going to be as an organization. You know, from there, we needed to really think through our culture. You know, what was the culture going to be like um, for those that, that worked with us, you know, and, and how would we attract, um, you know, people and how would we retain um, individuals, you know, believing absolutely that people are always the difference. Um, you know, going back to, you know, that culture of discipline um, and accountability. Um, we wanted to be a service-minded organization. We had just finished reading the book Raving Fans, um, and it hit home to us, right? And so very quickly, we said, okay, how can we do this for our business and, and our industry? You know, how can we create customers for life um, and offer up that raving fan service in an industry that otherwise, um, you know, wasn't necessarily serving up uh, Nordstrom style or Ritz Carlston, rich, you know, Ritz Carlston um, service levels. Uh, it's it, it's um, fascinating for me actually to hear you so keenly focused. I think you must have mentioned vision two, three times in that um, in that discussion. I, I tell me a little bit, like let's expand on this for a moment. Let me just play the devil's advocate for a second here. Like a lot of, <laughs> I remember what. Early on in my days of starting the software company, Leonardo 24-7, which is the other hat I wear, sometimes when I'm not here entertaining the masses, um, uh, I met with a prospect. We were talking about the value of you know automating processes and operations, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, look, I, I'm going to even try to do this accent. I just want, if they just collect rent, I'm happy. All this other stuff, I don't know about that. Um, so... And you are yet so focused on something that's that's the this the culture and vision. How does that make a difference? I mean, convince the listeners that that a great culture can make the difference between a management company succeeding and 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 not. Yeah, I mean, I think again, it goes back to those core values. You know, um, how do you what defines you? Um, what are you, what are you going to absolutely without fail? Um, commit to doing, whether it's an experience, um, a process, um, you know, deliberate commitment on who you hire, you know, that's one of the, the early lessons learned. Um, you know, we, we made the mistake of hiring out of desperation um, uh, for a very key role. And we, we, you know, 
I think we've all done that. We all continue to do that, right? When you've got a hole, uh, you want to fill it. But we realized very quickly that when we sacrificed that, we, we used to say, and I say it still to this day, hire the heart, train the skill. You know, we really wanted to be an organization that set the, the standard for customer care and customer experience. And when we hired somebody that didn't have that mentality, that heart, you know, commitment to service, um, we paid the price. So we said, okay, you know, uh, let's agree that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how painful it is to have a vacant position, you know, um, let's never hire out of desperation again. Um, and that has served me, you know, well for the rest of my career because it's easy when you are missing that team member and you're, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Um, you're down a, 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 you know, you're down a team member, and that's more work for everybody. Um, right? It's easy button um, to just fill a role, plug the hole, right? Band-aid it up. Um, it takes a lot more discipline and, um, and heart commitment to say, no, we're not going to, that is one of our core values, um, you know, and we're not going to sacrifice that. I think that yeah. then, you know, really flows into the, the organization, you know, your team members are watching every move that you make. Um, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that it's really easy to put a bunch of words on a wall, a mission, a vision statement, right? Um, core values. It's another to walk that talk, right? And I think your teams will know without a doubt if you are authentic and true to those values and to your commitments that you've made. Um, and that's going to, I think, lay a really strong foundation for retention. So let's expand on that a little bit further. So when it's not just words on the wall, when you are really committed to these core values, how does it translate to a, how does the resident feel that? And how do, how do your, how do the residents feel that? How do your clients feel that? Like, how does that translate to, let's, let's, how does that translate to better NOI, for example? Well, I think, again, uh, let's just use, you know, over-promising and under-delivering, right? If you have a commitment that you're not going to over-promise, um, right, whether that's a, a resident, a prospect, a client, um, you know, then you're going to ensure that you're communicating well, you're communicating often, you're communicating clearly, you're giving them the information that they need to know, not necessarily what they want to hear. Uh, they will respect that. They will respect that relationship. I think that is how uh, trust is formed. Um, you know, is that you you do what you say you're going to do, you stick to your commitments, and when you fail. When you make a misstep, because you will, right? When you forget to communicate upfront or you, you know, make a bad decision, you own it. And that is how I think, again, whether that's the customer, the, the resident, um, you know, a team member um, or a client, I think you, you build trust and that trust is how you have that long-term relationship, that confidence um, that, you know, they can count on you, that you're always going to be forthright. You're going to tell them what they need to hear and know. Um, you're not going to, um, you know, fail to deliver on a promise. Um, and that, I think, translates into bottom line performance. Um, again, it goes back to retention. It goes back to uh, being able to generate a higher rent because somebody um, has a relationship with you. They value um, their living environment. They can expect, uh, like raving fans, right? Um, they will expect that consistent delivery um, of service, right? Of experience, um, of taking care of them. And for that, they'll pay more and they'll stay longer. That's interesting. I, I'm not aware that revenue management yet has a dial for how good our culture is to allow rents to be a little higher, but I buy it. I buy it philosophically for sure. 
Um, and anecdotally, you feel that when you have a culture like this, that you have better resident retention. You, you sort of mentioned earlier in terms of, I think, employee retention, but better resident retention as well. Yeah, I mean, I call that differentiation through service, right? I think when you look at today's um, apartment communities and new developments, right, they're full of amenities um, and services and really cool things. You know, some things that we developed years ago that have come back and others that are continuing to evolve. Um, but, you know, how do you differentiate amongst the 10 communities within a, you know, one or two mile radius that all have the bells and whistles? I think it will always go back to differentiation through service, right? Can I count on my, my management team to service my needs, um, you know, whether that's the physical service or, um, you know, the, the convenience um, of great service, right? I think absolutely that translates to bottom line value. Okay. All right. I'm sold. Culture is important. Now, uh, what's your next step? You've got a great culture. You've got great values. You're living those values, hiring against those values. Um, now what? What's the next step in building a great company? Well, I think you've got to have process. You've got to have best practices, right? You've got to have a, a playbook um, full of you know lessons learned um, and best practices and processes. You've got to give your team members some infrastructure um, around you know how to how to execute that playbook, um, and then you've got to have additional processes in place to uh, reconcile, right? To review um, the end result, to adjust and pivot where needed, right? I mean, technology is changing. You know this. Um, this is your day to day. So, what happens when technology changes or when consumer behavior changes, right? What does that mean for that process? You know, how do you create a foolproof process where you can be consistently delivering, um, right, the same end result in terms of quality and service um, and, um, and accuracy, uh, but also in a way that can flex and be nimble and pivot. I think that's um, core um, to success is the ability to, you know, pivot and adjust as the world adjusts, as the consumer adjusts, as your clients adjust. Um, as our team members adjust, right? We're working with how many generations um, of, of you know, associates these days and how many generations of customers these days, right? We've got to be able to um, flex, um, but also have a really robust um, and streamlined process um, so that you can execute the plan well. What, can you define, give us some examples of what you mean by process, some things that you need to make sure are happening the right way, the right time across your portfolio every time? Well, I mean, think about the customer journey, right? Um, that journey, the touch points in a customer journey. You know, today we say digital is the new curb appeal. So what does that journey look like from the very beginning online? You know, what does that response time look like? Um, what are your responses uh, look like? Are they generic? Are they hand custom, you know, crafted? Um, what happens when somebody draws outside the lines, right? And you need to, you know, flex on a response. Are you reviewing those dashboards? Do you have systems and processes in place that allow you um, to, you know, funnel that process in a way to reconcile, right? In a way to respond, in a way to ensure um, that that customer touch point and that customer experience is exactly what you want it to be. Um, or let's talk about financials, right? You know, what is your process um, to ensure that 
um, you know, the inputs that are happening on the operator side um, is flowing through, the mapping is, you know, is on par um, to the accounting side of the equation, right? Um, and what does that process look like for you to review, reconcile, edit, and adjust your reports and then get those out to your clients and the investors in a timely fashion, right? There's got to be a workflow and a delineation of duties that allow all of that to happen on time and accurate, right? That's the expectation of the financial. And for your customer journey, you know, what are the processes and programs? What are this what are the 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 system connections from, you know, the customer's, you know, online <clears throat> portal or, you know, the the chatbot on your website all the way through to that that move-in process, you know, in in person. How do you ensure that that flow of communication, that that connection, that the information provided is accurate, right? And timely. And the um the the do you would maintenance and fall into that side that that side of the realm as, as well in terms of process yeah absolutely you know everything from you know how do you ensure that your you know uh service on the on the field side is again back to from the customer journey you know from the time that they have a request or a need you know how does that get to your maintenance team how do we make their jobs more efficient um so that they can you know get that request in the field um, you know, be present for the resident, um, follow up, follow through, and all the way through to, you know, preventive maintenance. You know, how is that planned? How is that scheduled? Do you have systems in place so that you have uh, reminders set up, right? Or that you have a, um, you know, a tool. I'll give you a little plug for a minute here, but, you know, um, you know, your software is one example allows that, you know, that journey um, and those reminders and those processes um, to come together in a way that is um, organized, scheduled, um, and also filed, um, you know, for that historical knowledge, right? Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate appreciate that, by the way. Uh, you certainly were singing my... <laughs> Um, yeah, look, I, I always get very excited when people, when people start talking about process and consistency and accountability, it has always been, um, for me, I think the hallmark of the great management companies that I have worked with or for, you know, over time is they are very thoughtful about process. They have not always been as thoughtful about culture. So I, I think, um, I, it's interesting and I think an important angle that you're bringing there as well. Um, and then you talked you you talked about reporting, uh, you talked about financials for a little bit, and I want to kind of riff off of that for a moment. Um, financials and reporting were sort of one of the first things that sort of centralization touched in our industry, um, and it sounds like uh, in your current capacity, maybe you're still there's still a lot of work maybe that's done in the field with centralization, or sorry, on the accounting side. Um, but how do you feel about centralization with respect to accounting? Do you also think it will, um, do you think it will have the same effect ultimately on the maintenance side? Are we going to be actually able to centralize maintenance processes? Well, I think, um, you know, certainly the owner operators and REITs have the advantage, right? When you control um, a portfolio, but we've created, I think in a third party environment, a lot of opportunities to centralize 
um, you know, it, it looks different, right? Maybe that's potting. Maybe that's having, um, you know, service team members that cover, a, you know, um, a geography, right, where it's scheduled um, from a central location. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to create and find um, centralized solutions, if you want to call it that. I call them efficiencies as well. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, really the end goal in my mind is to allow your site and regional team members to focus on the real estate, focus on the customer and focus on the client. So if we can take those mundane tasks, right, the kind of repetitive tasks um, and or, you know, centralize um, where you can create the efficiencies across portfolios or even through potting, um, it allows your teams to be more focused again on the, the, the real estate and the, and the customer, right? I think that's the goal. And, you know, I just wanted to mention too, we talk about processes. One of the key, um, I think, factors in success is what is the support level? What is the departmental support behind the platform and the infrastructure. Unfortunately, that is where things can get sideways really fast. Um, you know, if you don't have the right support mechanisms uh, built into your corporate organization and, you know, your corporate infrastructure, then those processes, those technologies, those systems um, end up failing. Um, and they end up on the shoulders of your site and regional team managers, right? Then you're all of a sudden now not focused on the real estate, not focused on the customer, not focused on the client. You're focused on fixing, you know, a broken back end. So I can't stress the importance of ensuring that your back of house, um, whether that's it, it's all the above, it's the people, the departmental support, the technologies, right? The infrastructure are there to truly support your frontline team and your regional teams. Let's shine a brighter light on that. Do you mean that um, – are you talking about a a product or a technology group within or is it broader than that? What what is that – what does proper support really look like? Yeah, all the above. So, you know, with the advent of technology as an example, right, if you're using technology, whether that's, um, you know, your, your portals – um, your operating software, um, your ancillary softwares, right? That talk to the softwares, you know, having a team and a department that can ensure that those systems and tools are working as they should be. Because, it, you know, as you know, right? When you, when you incorporate and implement technology and then that technology breaks or fails, right? You end up with work tickets. You end up with, you know, emails out, calls out, help, I can't do X, Y, Z, right? Which could impact a customer, a prospect, a lease, um, a client, a financial report, um, go down the list of all of the things that it can impact. So it's really making sure that you have built the proper infrastructure and back of house um, to support the team members um, when things aren't going um, as they should be, right? When the systems um, have a hiccup, um, when they fail, when they break, when they lag, um, you know, when they're just not allowing your team members to do their day-to-day. -day. I think this is where entities, management companies that, that have the size and scale of, say, for example, Saris Regis, some of the larger operators that are out there have a really distinct advantage here because I think what you're saying is of keen importance, I think, that to have this uh, internal support for these systems um, and a lot of smaller operators, you know, margins are so thin in this business. 
smaller operators, I don't know what I mean by smaller. I mean, maybe 2000 units or less, maybe 5,000, I don't know. Uh, but somewhere in that range, there is not the overhead to support a, th what you're talking about. And they really suffer. I think, how do you, uh, this may be an unfair question, but if you don't have the ability to support because you don't have the scale, uh, the, that kind of support thing that you're talking about, how do you get by? You just cross your fingers and hope you don't run into too many bumps in the road? <laughs> um, well, I, I will just say too, I think it's a, a bit of a misnomer. You know, I've been with some of the largest national companies. I've been with some of the smaller boutique companies. So I feel like I've kind of sat on every side of the equation in all sizes of organizations. Sometimes it's not the large organizations um, that have the robust support because there's so many uh, properties, units, people to support, right? You really have to have a robust back of house in order to support it. Sometimes um, the smaller organizations, the ones that are a little bit more boutique, the ones that can, you know, make quicker decisions or, you know, pivot or flex a little bit quicker are the ones that can help you through, um, you know, the bumps in the road uh, better than those that, you know, you might feel are, you know, the, the giants of the space. Um, you know, I, I think too, I, I know for me, and I'm not the tech, I'm not the behind the scenes tech uh, department heads. I will say though that, you know, there's so much technology that's rapidly shifting, right? Um, some do some things, some do other things, some do a little bit of both things, but not the third thing, right? You got to really figure out your tech stack um, also in a way that um, is integrated. I think the lack of integration can absolutely make it um, very choppy. Um, you know, and uh, very difficult to navigate. So, you know, that's where, again, making sure that you're beta testing in advance, you know, we've all been there, done that, where we get this really cool new toy um, and we just like, well, we got a new toy and you throw it out there and you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't work, you know, but we, but we just threw it out to the entire portfolio or organization and we forgot to like test it on a, a smaller sample set and also get the input from your operators. That's the other thing, you know, all too often, um, you know, where we're relying on the experts and they're really good at their trade, but they're not operating properties. So like, make sure we're talking to our operators and getting their feedback. Like, what do they really need? What's working? What's not? How do we need to, you know, shift, adjust, pivot to make their lives easier? So again, they're not distracted by all the things that get, you know, our customers and our clients frustrated um, because we're not focused on what we really need to be focused on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. We're going to record that little piece there and we're going to post that on our own website. <laughs> it's hard. It is. It is. But, uh, but, but thank you for pointing out that there are boutique companies that, that, uh, that actually get focused on that because it's just one of the things that they do well. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, um, you know, COVID, right? I mean, we're still talking about it. We're probably going to be talking about it for many, many years. It's so funny. My son was doing a report last night on the bubonic plague. Um, and they were talking about, you know, the impact of that and, you know, now it's COVID, right? And the impact of COVID, I would say, you know, we, we went into the last two or three years now and the theme's been the same every year, which is back to the basics, back to the basics, back to the basics, right? No matter how great technology is, no matter how, um, you know, how many shiny new toys um, come into our space, I think it's it needs to always be that back to the basics mentality, right? Um, clean is clean. Curb appeal is curb appeal. Customer care is customer care, right? Like we've got to remember you can't manage your properties from behind a desk. You've got to inspect what you expect, right? The basics will always rule. Um, and I think, um, 
regardless of technology, we've got to just remember that, you know, and now more than ever, right? With all that we can't control, what can we control? We can control the basics, right? And that, when you do the basics well, rating fans, you got to be consistent in the basics, then can you get to the plus one. So back to the basics, be consistent, then you can have the plus one. That's the wow moment. You, you've mentioned a couple of times um, as an aside, like things are changing, technology. Um, uh, let, let's kind of wrap up today by talking about what what has your attention. What, where do you think, you know, there's chat GPT, we talked about centralization. Um, uh, the, there are numerous bots that are being introduced now to do things. <clears throat> Talk to us a little bit about what has your attention? Where do you think we're going? What are you considering uh, adopting in the next 18 months that you think might be game changing for for you and Cirrus Regis or the industry in general? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're beta testing quite a few um, potential rollouts um, for the next year. Um, don't know kind of what will make it to the to the finish line or not. I mean, certainly AI has a lot of discussion. You know, we've been looking at um, AI virtual reality tours for pre-leasing, right, in not built yet. Um, uh, communities. I think that's pretty cool. I think AI, all things, right? We're all trying to just learn and understand, like, where will it go? Um, chatbots, of course. Um, you know, centralization will continue to be, I think, a hot topic. You know, how do you do it? Um, as a third-party operator, how do you find those efficiencies for clients, whether it's smaller properties that need that, you know, shared teams, shared contracts or, you know, pods of, of properties, right? Where you can leverage, um, you know, geography and leverage team members. So again, you can centralize some of that, um, you know, administrative type of, of work where you can maybe centralize your call centers, you can centralize your maintenance operations, right? And find efficiencies. I think it really boils down to finding efficiencies um, and then also um, focusing on the customer care and the experience, right? Letting the technology do what it does best, um, which is again, some of those repetitive tasks, um, getting that set up right. Um, and I think it's just about making sure we don't bite off too much, right? Got to make sure that um, if we're going to execute and roll something out that we do it well. So, you know, I think for us, um, again, we're beta testing, as I'm sure everyone else is, quite a few different products and programs. But, um, you know, how will we, what will the tech stack be that we can rely on that can be integrated, um, right, across our, our technology um, ancillary um, platforms? Um, and how can we create some efficiencies and, and synergies for our clients? Um, through centralized solutions. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, there was a lot happening right now. A lot of it driven, it feels like, you know, through the pandemic, you know, we, 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 we have a persistent problem with finding people now, qualified people, but, but they have options. They, people have options that, that can work from home now that didn't have before. It makes it harder to attract people in this business. So finding efficiencies um, not only saves money, but is becoming almost um, necessary in order to operate these properties. Well, that's where that culture comes back, right? I was talking to a client the other day and, you know, in a really difficult, challenging submarket, a lot of new construction, so a lot of concessions, um, you know, residents that are moving from one property to another because there's choice and they can get, you know, more free run over here, more free run over there. So how do you create that stickiness? It's about creating an environment of, uh, connection and community and differentiation through service. I think that goes back to culture. For sure. But we'll put an exclamation point on that. 
Um, Tina, it's been so wonderful to have a chance to talk to somebody with um, such a, who's such a wealth of information and knowledge and experience. Thank you for coming on and sharing a little bit of that with us today. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Okay. We'll see you at the round of the trade shows. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at this week's episode of the Apartment Academy podcast. The Apartment Academy is a production of Leonardo 24-7, the industry's leader in multifamily operations and maintenance software. At Apartment Academy, we realize the hard work that goes into property management and the stress that comes along with it. Leonardo 24-7 takes the guesswork out of your team's day-to-day by providing customized daily guidance on tasks that need to be done, guaranteeing consistent operations across your entire portfolio. To learn more, visit www.leonardo247.com today.